Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Echelon Cycling Podcast. We are, of course, the only podcast with a Yorkshireman, a Brit, and a Dane uh, discussing, as we've done in several weeks now, uh, the week of pro cycling, what has been happening in the week gone by. This week, of course, Strai Bianchi. I won't say the six moment of cycling. Don't worry, Patrick. But uh, yeah, make sure to check out. Uh, we're also available on all the different platforms from Spotify to Amazon Podcast. So if you'd rather listen to us, check out there. But nevertheless, uh, I'm not doing this on my own. We have Mr. Gregor himself, Ewan Wilson from The Cycling Dane, of course. And then we have Patrick, creator and owner of Audu Cycling. And uh, yeah, we're here to dissect the week that has gone before us in cycling. And guys, Rai Bianchi, the beautiful one-day race in Italy, semi-classic or whatever. I'm not saying monument. <laughs> Well, Patrick, are you just going to overtake the whole podcast now because it was the Yorkshire winner? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I thought you were going to be referencing to the Six Monument, which I made a whole a whole rant video about on my channel explaining why I don't think it Good is. Good video. Yeah, I, quite, I enjoyed making it. I just hate Dan Lloyd's agenda to try and get himself into the top 10 of a monument. It's infuriating. But anyway, put that aside, yes. Pidcock, of course, won, which meant that I was very happy. Yorkshire is now up to three wins so far this year, which I am going to be keeping a tally off just so that everybody knows. And it was a really entertaining race, actually. I think that everybody was uh, comparing at the end how Pagacha went long last year and Pidcock went. Did, did, did Pidcock go longer this year than Pagacha? Is that is that factually correct or not? I don't really know. But Pidcock went from very far out, like, 50 kilometers or so, followed the attack of Betiol and Bajoli, and then just rode away from them on a descent of, of all places. I, I think a lot of people were expecting him to probably attack on the climbs, but it was on this steep gravel descent where he flew past a motorbike and dropped them all just easily as that. And then he just rode off into the distance, caught up to the breakaway, dropped them, and then rode off to take the victory with a lot of antics going on behind it, it must be said there was a lot of group two dynamics going on which were uh, not helping the uh, the chasing group to bring back the flying yorkshireman who uh, seems to be in absolutely flying form at the moment exactly that pickcock with, with a strong performance yesterday at strada bianca really using his um, his abilities to his own advantage uh which shows maturity and strength in in, in a different way that we've seen before from pickcock um distancing himself on on a descent from that front group knowing that the move from betiol was dangerous in the first place was also a, it was a good move in his half he knew how to read the race he could see that betiol was active before that obviously had strength a local rider as well who know who knows the course he saw Betiol go and Boomy decided to go with him and I think probably the most impressive victory in Pitcock's Palmares and I'm intrigued to see where he goes for the rest of 2023 but I've been a little bit sort of harsh towards Pitcock maybe in in terms of not watch our previous clip about that Oh yeah, exactly that, and also many, many a comment on a live stream over on the Cycling Day main channel, where I'm, I'm never sure of what he's going to do next, what his aims and objectives are. He's a guy with a very sort of, inf- not not inflated because it, it, it's warranted, but he's a guy with a with a huge reputation in terms of being sort of a flag bearer for Ineos Grenadiers, cyclocross former world champion, mountain bike Olympic champion. He, he is a big name. I feel like this winner, Strada Bianca, warrants that reputation, it warrants his position, as as a current star of, of the sport and it all it all does kind of make sense really look, look at the sort of the role of honor of previous winners he fits right into that one alongside van der poel van art stinek Stieber, all former cyclocross world champions insert any other names if you can recall other cyclocross riders succeeding 
But um, yeah, it, it's definitely it. It's definitely an impressive ride from his half, and it was actually a pretty exciting race to watch. It was definitely an exciting race. I think most eyes, as I think all three of us talked about Michael Van der Poel, and everyone was kind of thinking, yeah, this is 2021 copy paste didn't happen he didn't really have it in the tank and then now this new force of the Jumbo Visma formula of just jetting in from Tenerife pick up the victory and then jet back to Tenerife didn't really happen Attila Valta and Tispen Newt not quite well it really did look like they were going to catch Pickcock at one point they were within seven seconds and yeah it well, seemed like they, they just threw it away well, they, they said after the race that there was a breakdown in communication between them. It's the first time they've raced together and um, they weren't quite communicating with each other enough. And Walter took took the brunt of that of that responsibility. He said it was on his half. Um, it was his fault, really, that, that, that they couldn't really communicate and couldn't bring it back. Uh, Tish Brunot eventually got the stronger result in third place on the day. But um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't fabulous Jumbo Visma, which is a sign that they're not sort of unbeatable. They weren't sort of 3D printed, AI generated to be the winners of, of every single classic and every single Grand Tour in 2023. They have shown some sort of some faults in in, in their armor there. So yeah, it, it'll be intriguing to see where, where they go with this and um, see how... Walter and Tish Benoit learned from this lesson. Evidently, that probably shows that one week ago at Kuna Brussel Kuna, when they had Benoit and Van Hoydonk in that group, it worked so well because they know each other very well. They rode a Tour de France together last year. Uh, they rode a number of races together in 2022. Both have been at the team for longer. Whereas coming into this race with Benoit and Walter, who've never ridden together in a race before, I mean, it's kind of um, these occupational hazards we don't think of as fans as much. But I mean, I can imagine it's what like 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 being a being a pilot and you're working. On on a big transatlantic flight, a difficult landing, and you've got a new co-pilot you've never sort of spoken to before. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be difficult that first time round, but eventually uh, you'll get used to it. And I think we just saw that we, we saw them yesterday, Estrada Bianca, kind of experimenting with each other. I guess worth noting that even if, let's say, for example, Valter did go on the front and he did bring Pitcock back, actually, the note wouldn't have won in theory because he was picked by Valentin Madwas, who. I, I was so happy because, mainly because Madwas signed my flag at the Tour de France last year with my botched French. So he's like an immediate, like, I immediately love him for that. And just great performance from him. He was looking so strong and I was just amazed. It shows that really his performance last year where he finished on the podium of Flanders, that was not a fluke at all. Madwas is a name which has perhaps crept up on people and I think he's still quite underrated and furthermore group Palmer just in general roman gregoire let's i feel like he deserves a little bit of a chat because 20 years old he's i think i saw a start he is the youngest person to ever finish inside the top 10 at starley bianchi i think because he, he is 20 years old he finished in eighth place which is just incredible, in all honesty. I think that Group Palmer, we've must have said in the past about that under twenty three team, just how good it is, how good their talent acquisition is, and Gregoire's just outstanding performance. I can't wait to see what he's going to produce later this year and into the future. Exactly that. I mean, it was a fantastic day for for Group Palmer, who I think have really showed in the past year or two that they are a really legitimate classics team with a really strong squad for the classics. We saw that with even last year they got a podium in the two cobble monuments we don't necessarily think about that that much but uh king kung got a podium in roubaix and madwas at um the ronde von flandre and and now with 
with the team coming into this season, Madois, of course, an absolute star. I agree. I think criminally underrated. He finished in top 20 in GC last year at, at the Tour de France. That's fantastic for, for a guy like him. David Godou was singing his praises, saying that he wouldn't have got to the position he was in GC if it weren't for Valentin Madois. Remember, they know each other very well. They've been riding together since they were kids. They're from the same part of France. Brittany, don't make me get the flag, because I will. <laughs> It, it is impressive. And for, for Grégoire, he's born in 2003. It's a terrifying prospect. But he's a guy who's just swept up so many big wins in the past year at the the junior level. A stage win at the Baby Giron, a stage win at the Tour de l'Avenir, which is the junior Tour de France. The Flèche Aldenaise, the Liège-Bastogne-Liège for juniors. It's kind of like a tick sheet, a, a to-do list of everything you, you need to win before becoming a great classic star. And with this performance... Uh, Strada Bianca, I'm super excited to see what he's going to do because he also this isn't just a fluke. He's been looking good since the start of the season, right up there at the Ouverture, the Grand Prix de la Marseillaise, also at the uh, Italian race earlier this week. Can't remember the name of it. La Goelia, la Goelia that one. Industry is still to come. Um, but yeah, I mean, Grégoire, all aboard the hype train. He is something special for Group Armor. Well, yeah, we've kind of said everything there is to say about Strada in terms of the results. Um, but did you guys, well, we touched on that, that it wasn't kind of, I think Tom Pickock was really at his limit. I think he's such a smooth bike rider, but you could really see it like in the final moments when it looked like he might just get caught. So it was kind of good in a way to see that Pickock's human as well. Uh, but yeah, well well and truly deserved win. First ever Brit to win. First ever Brit to podium in Strada Bianca. <clears throat> uh, First ever British man to win Strada Bianca. Oh, of yeah, course, no yeah. erasure for Lizzie Dignan, formerly Lizzie Armitstead, who won the women's race. Who's also from win? Yorkshire, I'd like to point out. Is she? She, oh. she went to the same high school as me. Oh. Claim she to fame there. Yeah, li- literally. She is literally lives in my town, Otley, GP, if anybody knows that. But yeah. Just saying, random. Uh, that nice piece of information aside. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sticking on Pickcock, we covered it over in a video on the Cycling Dane channel, you and I, how his attributes would fit with the different monuments. This isn't a monument, as Patrick has established firmly. But Milan San Remo's coming up. He's done that race twice, 2021, when it was his first, well, his Neo Pro season with Ineos Grandes. He came 15th. He was very visible on the Poggio. He's now got two more seasons under his belt. Is Tom Pickcock the fav- or one of the favorites for Milan San Remo, this chaotic race? And does history support that? Um, I think, well, we were just, we were saying before recording this how. There is a strangely strong correlation between people who win Stardi and then also go on to win Milano San Remo in the same year. It's happened, what was it? It was Van Aert in the COVID year, Alaphilippe in 2019, and Mihok Vikotsky in 2017. So there is a pretty strong kind of correlation going on there. I think Pidcock does have the attributes of somebody who should be doing well in Milano San Remo. Whether he can win is very difficult because, of course, his descending is very good, so he could do a, a Mohoric-esque sort of thing. But it seems more and more nowadays that it's harder to break 
the uh, the peloton hub, if you can call it a peloton, about time on the project. It's hard to break that group apart at the moment. Everybody seems to be on such flying form that people attack and, you know, some moves perhaps get off a front, but they're never quite conclusive. It seems all very like a stalemate. So it feels like Pidcock would really have to be trying to beat people in a sprint. And I do feel like, although he has beaten, you know, Wout in a reduced sprint at like Brabant Cepel in the past... I just don't think that his sprinting is good enough to win in a flat sprint at Milano San Remo. Do you guys think that's fair to conclude? Yes, hundred percent. I think if, if it comes to the Via Roma with the likes of Pogacar, Van der Poel, Van Aert, I think zero chance he wins that in a sprint. Maybe not zero. Maybe a five percent chance he wins that in a sprint. Yes, as you mentioned, Brabant's a pale, but that sprint in Overdays is a little bit uphill. Via Roma is it's it's flat as a pancake. It's a straight line. Um, so I'm not favorable of his chances in that way. He'd have to go solo. And I think like a Moharic style attack would work. Does he have the kick, the, the pure kick to get away from the likes of Van der Poel Van Aert? We'll find out. His 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 attack the other day was a little bit more sort of sneaky, because Betiol attacked initially, then about five, ten seconds afterwards he responded. It wasn't like he attacked when the race was on and completely distanced everybody. He just um, he went away in, in a period where the Peloton weren't necessarily going to follow every move. So definitely, I think he could win it, but I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. I think I'd rather place a bet on Van der Poel, Van Aert, Pogacar, and the like, even Mohoric to do it again as well. Yeah. Would he attack before the Poggio, though? That could be on no, the suppressor. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We, we saw it last year. Pogacar tried. So I'm sorry, if Pogacar can't do it, Pickcock can't. How? Yeah. I think it's, no, a fair, it's, it's a fair point. Uh, it's a fair point. I think I, that Ewan's got a point. We know he's a brilliant descender, but now everyone knows that as well. So it's not like they're going to let him go on the Poggio. There are people that could potentially keep up with him or at least limit it to five, six seconds. and then. But I think, the, I think descending skills is the thing that I mean, if you're good at descending, it's an absolute blessing because you have that pure ability to go faster than everybody else. There's nothing other teams can do uh, to try to get him back. We saw that with Mohoric last year. He was the bravest on, on, on the descent. He made the difference there. If you're good at descending, you will gain time on, on that descent. Despite how quick the pelter may go, it's it's down to sort of fear and skills and so forth of whether they can catch Pitcock. I mean, it's quite hard to explain what, what, what I'm trying to say, but I, I, I think like if he, if he goes on the descent... Then I think he's got a good chance to, to make a gap. But um Can he hold that gap though? That's the thing. Maybe. I, I just think it is hard because even though people knew last year that Mohoric was a good descender, but yet he still descended away and he still won. So therefore, people know that Pitcock's a good descender, but that doesn't really mean like, oh, I need to pay extra attention because Obviously, that didn't really work with Mahoric. Perhaps Mahoric is a bit more of an underdog because like, they're like, oh, he's good at descending, but we haven't really, like, he's done some good stuff, but perhaps he's not the craziest name. Let's say we could perhaps, you know, afford to give him a bit of leeway. But yeah, Pitcock's perhaps got a bit more of a target on his back. But I then, think that's a good point. That is a good point. We've seen in the past as well, riders with big targets on their back usually a little bit overmarked in San Remo. We saw it last year with Pogacar. We've seen it with Van der Poel Van Aert as well in the past. Sometimes they do just have that natural kick to get away. We saw it in 2020 when Wout and Alaphilippe went away on the Poggio in the COVID edition. Yes, a little bit of a different sort of atmosphere because it was the COVID edition. 
But in, in a normally positioned Milano Sanremo, the out and out favorite attacking on the Poggio and going all the way to the line, it doesn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. Mohoric wasn't a favorite. Jesper Sturven was an underdog. Yeah, he went after the Poggio, but still, it, it, it's these guys who, if they can make it, even Nibali, Nibali wouldn't be a favorite for, for San Remo, went off the front in 2018. We thought, eh, maybe he'll get caught, and he didn't all the way to the Lions. So I think I think it is rare to see the out-and-out favorites go on their own without anybody reacting. Yeah, literally, like, the last time I saw that happen was maybe, like, 2017, when Kriakovsky won, like, Sagan attacked, and people, like, went with him. Like, it was yeah. so long ago, in the peak Sagan era. Like, but- everybody seems to just, it's hard to break the alliance. Even then, he had passengers with him. Despite being the key favorite, people came with him. If Peacock attacked, I'm sure Pogacar, Wout, Fandrapol, Mohoric will try to be on his wheel. I don't think Pitcock has it in him to go, to go out completely solo. Mm. Maybe on on a descent, well, over the top of the climb, if he tries to attack over the top, maybe he could distance the others. But I think it's very hard going into San Remo as an out-and-out favorite to try to distance yourself from the main peloton. I mean, we might as well do... Uh... Bit of an unrealistic prediction here. Where do you think uh, Pickcock's going to finish at Milan San Remo? Oh, by the way, we didn't, we forgot to mention Fabian Cancellara 2008 before anyone puts it in the comments down below. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with, mm, I kind of see a similar scenario to last year happening. I reckon it's going to get even more aggressive. I reckon the race is going to get even more ag- aggressive on like the Chipressa. I reckon that's the new trend. And I think that, yeah, probably somebody else clips away, maybe like a duo. I reckon Pickcock will sprint to like, fifth yeah i would say lower top 10 to be honest i'm not yeah, convinced I was gonna say 12. it's gonna be a win i just think there there are other contenders in this also this year going into it there are a lot of really strong sprinters who are very hardy going into san remo more than there have been i would say in the past couple of years thinking of mas payson who's really targeting this race biniam grimai arno Dali, three really really strong contenders here um if their teams can sort of control the race then I think that could be it really for a sort of an escape group or a solo guy like Pitcock. And I don't think he has it in him really to sprint to a top five if it does come down to a bunch gallop or a reduced bunch gallop in that sense. Check out our uh, clip with where we discuss Arno Dali uh, for Milan San Remo favorite. But so anyway, on the day of recording, there was also a race in Belgium that featured Caleb Ewan and uh, well, Ewan. <laughs> uh, it was a bit of a scandalous finish in a way or a controversial finish to the race. Exactly that. Today was the Grote um, Preis Jean-Pierre Moseret, which finishes in the city of Rosalara, which has one of the best cycling museums in the world, by the way, the Course Museum. If you are in Flanders, make sure you go to that. The controversial finish to this race, it ended up in a sprint and Caleb Ewan, well, he went early. We thought he had it. In the lunge to the line, he went shoulder to shoulder with Kedipatason of Antimarche wanted Gobert. In the final lunge to the line, well, they weren't sure who won, but the winner was announced as Caleb Ewan. The cameras were on him. They had the on-screen graphic to say that Caleb Ewan of Lotto Destiny had won the stage. They brought him into the sort of press booth uh, to do his post-race interview where he spoke about how happy he is to win the race and so forth. After that, well, we cut to a number of sort of overhead shots to the finish and we found out the winner wasn't Caleb Ewan. It was actually Herbertason of Antimarche who then went on to give his winner's interview. This time it stuck. He was declared the official winner of the stage and um, he was on the podium to get the first place prize. Uh, So that was a sort of scandalous finish. Once again, Caleb Ewan being involved in a photo finish that was almost too close to call. But a, a big win for, for Herbertation. Don't take anything away from that. I was just thinking about, um, wasn't Caleb Ewan involved in another... Yeah, like, you were Dutch line. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, Yuito. But I was also thinking, wasn't it Jiro last year against... Dem- I swear there was a sprint finish against Damar where he just about lost as well. Caleb Ewan just has a bit of a reputation for these uh, close finishes, basically. Just winning by, like, the tiniest amount, which is really unfortunate. It seems to happen quite a lot to him, but he, he is still one of the best sprinters in the world. And, you know, it's a great win, actually, for Intermarche. They just keep on uh, racking up good results this year so far. It must be because of what Scott said to them. That must be the only reasoning. Great team presentation by them. But uh, yeah, well, focusing on Caleb Ewan, we all know he's, as you said, such an accomplished sprinter. But what is really happening with him? He's not really taking any victories. He's taken the Sable Classic, yes, but he hasn't taken it a single road stage victory this year. We know they've gone down to Pro Continental, but that doesn't really affect the racing for them. Yeah, now Honor Dili as well as coming this huge force as well and it's a belgian team is there something wrong or is it just early early season a bit like we saw with mark cavendish he he takes a few races and then he hits the ground running when he gets to the races that he's really targeting i think i mean this seems to be the second year really of caleb ewan feeling underwhelming he had a lot of bad luck in 2022 um, he had some bad luck as well in 2021 when he crashed out on the sprint finish to ponty v i think that that sort of began the bad luck for Caleb Ewan and um, there was a lot of pressure in his back last year to gain points for this squad and it didn't quite work in his favor missed out on a number of big targets in the year uh, and beginning this year as well just missing that sort of top speed that he used to have he used to he used to be this pocket rocket that was unbeatable once he got to his top speed but now just missing that killer kick from Caleb Ewan who was a staple at sort of the world tour sprinting level and I think today showed that even though he he went out we thought he was really on sort of yeah, he had a clear line to the finish had a decent lead out from his squad who, who have been performing well as a whole and then he just gets overhauled by Hedabitation in the final couple of meters to the line. It is it is clearly demoralizing for him. He knows that sort of the, the torch is being passed across to Arno Dilly and the team. He's definitely got more momentum and more hype in 2023. We're talking him up as a as a Milano San Remo favorite, despite the fact Caleb Ewan's finished on the podium a number of times in the past. Um, we're sort of overshadowing the Australians' chances there. And I think as well, what's most important about Caleb Ewan and, and this sort of poor start to the season is the mentality for sprinters. You mentioned with Cavendish there. Sometimes with these sprinters, it's a it's a big ego game. It's the most sort of primal and primitive form of cycling. Who can go the quickest? Urgh. You see it in like 100 meter sprinting as well. Once you get that big win, yes, you are the big I am. You're, you're, you feel strong. You want to keep that ball rolling. Your team is motivated to keep you going. And then boom, you have that confidence to know that you can sprint and win. Caleb hasn't had that in a top UCI World Tour level race in a long time. So I think maybe he's missing that sort of mentality kick um, to go all, all the way and to, to regain that top level speed and to gain the prestige he's had in so many years. Don't forget, just after the COVID break, we were saying Caleb Ewan is probably the best sprinter in the world. And now he's a bit of an afterthought, even within his own team. It is strange, isn't it? Because, yeah, he did used to be just one of the absolute premier sprinters in the world. I remember back in the Mitchelton Scott days, the ridiculously low position that he had that was always taking headlines of how close his chin was to the the front wheel it just hasn't been clicking with him for the last the last few years i'm not even sure if it's a thing to do with his lead out he's never really been a rider which strictly goes you know, like like the old days you know of like hjc and stuff like that where they're just like we're gonna drill it and then our sprinter's just gonna go off a lead out man and he's just gonna win easy caleb's always quite a um 
he, he improvises quite well as a sprinter. That's always been his kind of style. So I'm not even sure if it's really a thing to do with with lead out, really. Although maybe he's you know perhaps like Everson's like he just perhaps doesn't mix with his lead out men. I know that Lotto have really mixed in some new lead out men. They've lost some, they've gained some, and perhaps things just aren't working. I, I'm not really sure. But then he's worked so well with Roger Kluger in the past. He's still there. They've also thrown in Jacopo Guarnieri as well this year. Really great lead-out man for Arnold Demar in the past. An all-round good guy. So, I mean, I don't I don't quite get it. It's it's not like anything huge has changed. Like, he's still got a very similar lead-out, but he just can't seem to follow them. Look at his results from last year's Tour de France. Two top tens, and he finished the race. He, he rode all 21 days and only finished in top ten twice. His best result being in eighth place on um, the stage into Senebor. I'm really sort of confused by this. I don't quite understand. He just hasn't been anywhere near really winning. Okay, fair enough with, with, with Tim earlier at the, at the UAE Tour, but we haven't seen consistent and reliable Caleb Ewan. He's a guy who's won UAE Tour stages, boom, 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 in the past. He's reliable there, and he's missed it. E- even with um, the Lotto Sudas team, or Lotto Destiny as they're now called, he's done well in certain races in the past, and it's just not working here. I don't, I don't get it, to be honest. I mean, even back in, I think the last time I really saw peak sort of Caleb Ewan was 2019, where he won three stages of the Tour and two stages of the Giro. I think maybe something to do with it is, I don't know if it's just a, this is just crazy, just whatever thinking. But he had this whole thing of he wanted to win a stage of every Grand Tour in a year. Do you remember that being a yeah, thing which he wanted to do? I feel like, pressure. I can't remember when he first mentioned that, but it feels like ever since then, things have just derailed. Or is that just me making things up in my own head? I mean, it was 2021 he definitely wanted to go for it. He dominated the sprint of the Giro and then randomly abandoned, um, if you recall, from the 2021 edition. Then went to the Tour de France, crashed out in Pontivy, uh, didn't start the next day, and then didn't go to the Volta Espana as well. So maybe maybe that's also the problem. There's also been a lot of pressure on his shoulders for Milan San Remo. Remember the whole Caleb Buen King of the Mountains sort of meme in 2021 when he was riding really strongly in San Remo following like Fonda, Paul and Van Aert up, up, up the hills and we thought ah oh, man Caleb Ewan world domination that was only two years ago and now he's just sort of faded away and um the little Wallonian bull has taken his place at the top of the rankings at Lotto Destiny do you think it's demoralizing for him to be on, on a pro continental level now I think more Dili is the the elephant in the room while well, we mentioned him uh, but then they don't really race the same races yeah, but if you know you're not the man anymore in your team, suddenly this 20-year-old Belgian kid is just like destroying world cycling. Mm. Can't be great for the ego. Bernie, he's he's had to share no Caleb's had to share a team with Michael Matthews in the past. Um when not they were this, both at Oracle yeah. Stroke Mitchelton. It's different. It's different, I know, but in terms of they would ride different races. Some seasons were better for Matthews, some seasons were better for, for Caleb Ewan. It's difficult, to be honest, because they're evidently Lotto Destiny have been one of the best teams this year so far in terms of, sort of their resources. Arno Dali performing well. Milan Menta won early this week at Le Samin. Um, Jan de Fondepar. Like they've, they, they've got a, re- a really strong start to 2023, but Caleb's just missing the mark. I just think it's also a thing that there are so many great sprinters nowadays. Uh, yeah, I, think I was going to mention that. You've got Malia. Jakobsen, Gronewegen, Bennett, Philipson, and now like Wellsford's actually stepping up to be really good as well. That's like six guys who at the moment I'm kind of putting on a similar, if not higher level than Caleb. I just think the quality of sprinting is really high at the moment. 
which is a great thing because it yeah. means variation. Also, I mean, this shouldn't take away. I mean, I, I bigged them up a lot in our Antimarche season preview. I said Herbert Tayson's going to win a big, big race this year. And I, I think this shows that Herbert Tayson has also taken a big step up. He beat both Caleb Ewan and Sam Wellsford here. Herbert is a guy who's performed really well. He won a Tour of Poland stage last year, crashed out of the Vuelta Espana during the Grande Par, missed the mark there. But he's got big goals for the season. And he's another one of these good Antimarche, reliable sprinters who's emerging through the ranks. And it's good to see him performing at, at this top level as well and sort of showing a very different approach within Antimarche to Lotto Destiny. So obviously we're recording on the Sunday and we're releasing on the Monday. And one of the most prestigious one day, one week stage races, Race to the Sun, Paris Nice is starting. And this year, it's got the last two winners of the Tour de France, Tadej Gacha and Jonas Vingegaard in there. But uh, yeah, stage one, what kind of happened there? Does it tell us anything about the sprinting game? Well, stage one took the riders around the little village of Verrières. There was a breakaway early on, but didn't come to anything. But things really kicked off with roughly 20, 30 kilometers to go on the Category 4 climb. The Côte de la Mion la Chapelle. There we saw Nielsen Paulus really ignite affairs for the GC guys. He wanted to get the King of the Mountains points. Uh, so he attacked off the front. Pogacar followed. And what, what ensued was sort of a sort of amuse-bouche of, of, of the GC battle. We saw a small grouping, a small group emerge. Vingago involved as well, but he was isolated in this front group of 25 or so riders. They went out on their own for roughly 10 kilometers before Sudal Quickstep got their act together and chased them back. However, on the, the bonus second hill sprint, which offered six bonus seconds at the Côte de 17 Tournant, there we saw Pogacar attack again and make a small gap with him, Nielsen Poutno, him, Pierre Latour, and Jonas Vingegaard. But Pogacar therefore gained six bonus seconds whilst Vingegaard gained nothing. That trio went out ahead for a while before sort of Pogacar looked at Vingegaard, who wasn't pacing. They decided to sit up with five kilometers to go and let Pierre Latour try to get a stage win on his own. Spoiler alert, he didn't get the stage win. Sudal Quickstep pulled back in the final couple of kilometers. Florian Seneschal took a flyer in the final kilometer, sort of forcing Bora Hansgrohe to do the work for Sam Bennett, whilst Tim Leo surfed the wheels and pushed through to take the stage win ahead of Sam Bennett and Maz Payerson. In the GC, this means that Tim Leo will be wearing the yellow jersey tomorrow ahead of Sam Bennett and Tadej Pogacar, who is sitting in third place in GC, courtesy of a six bonus seconds so that was everything that was served up on stage one an interesting day we did get a bit of gc action and we got our first taste of the vingago pogancha battle that was like an insert of you in recap mode there in uh in the echelon cycling podcast so i appreciate <laughs> that guys but yeah tim Merlier, is he the best sprinter now in the world um gosh tricky uh that, that's that's hard to say i'd say based off of current results yes because of how he was going in the UAE tour as well. He picked up two stage wins there, if I'm not mistaken. And so therefore, this stage win here, ahead of some strong sprinters as well, probably does put him as the as the favourite. Am I really missing somebody? I just don't feel like Jakobsen and Philipson are not... Well, not what are they alive? What's going on there? Like, I don't know where they are. They're going to Torino. But I'd really consider that Philipson was probably one of the best, if not the best, sprinter from last year. And he hasn't really hit the heights. I just, I'd, I'd think that Melia probably is the best sprinter in the world right now. Right now, yes, I would say right now. But historically, 
I mean, I would say over the past 12 months, if we're looking at it from a sort of who is the best sprinter, Jakobsen and Phillips, I would say, are probably stronger. Uh, Tim O'Leary, towards the end of last year, was struggling really to contend for Buelta stage victories, fighting against Fred Wright and Mas Payson in a sprint. Hmm. But Quick step effect? Yeah, it, exactly. It, it probably is the quick step effect. The past three stage races Tim O'Leary started, he's won the opening stage at Oman, UAE, and now Paris-Nice, which is a, a very, very strong statistic to have to your name. And it shows that he's clicking with the team. It takes some people some time, particularly in a sprinting lead-out, where you have to have a lot of faith in, in your lead-out men and these guys to position you in a good place. Tim Lewis jumped into, in, into the team and it's worked very well. And at this race, we had a number of the sort of A-list sprinting guys, Tim de Klerk doing a lot of work, also with Seneschal and Yves Lampard. It really was the sort of top-tier quick-step lead-out and it worked for Merlier. Probably at the moment, yes, he's in the best position, he's in the best team. Um, but going forward, can he keep this momentum for the rest of the year? We'll find out. I mean, he's not down for the Giro or the Tour de France right now on his provisional calendar. Mm. He doesn't fit into the Giro lineup with them. Um, yeah, Rowe. obviously. Uh, but would would you take him over? Well, if we're saying we're getting closer to the Tour, you've had this phenomenal success with Timurlia. He's won a Tour stage before. Would you not take him instead of Jakobsen, seeing that Jakobsen kind of faded further, deeper into the Tour de France? Or would you still go with Jakobsen? One thing's for certain, I don't think Miller would be winning the opening stage of that race around Bilbao. But um I don't yeah, that's that's a hard one because I just I just don't think Jakobsen's hit full flight yet. This isn't saying that Jakobsen's just like washed or something right now. He he's just struggling at the moment and sprinters come around and it wouldn't surprise me to be honest if, if Merlier did get put down. I mean it was I mean when Cav got taken to the tournament won three stages, that was a fairly late call up, um, as far as I can remember. So it wouldn't surprise me if Quickstep just changed tune and decided to take Merlier instead or victories that's why was he it did four that. he did that my god that's crazy i, I thought it was free <laughs> my god well max missile excuse, well excuse me well i mean merlier is no stranger to sharing a team riding in the 2021 tour de france with both jasper Philips and mathieu van der poel in the squad um he could slot into this into this team but the thing is him and jacobson are so similar it's not like sort of philipson and merlier where Philipson's a little bit hardier than the, the Merlier can get over more hills, whereas Merlier and Jakobsen both put them over a speed hump and they'll get dropped. So, I mean, it, they don't really bring different thing, things to the table. Jakobsen's been struggling to follow the wheel of Mikhail Marco throughout the beginning of this season, which is a worrying sign, given that he's one of the best uh, lead-up men in the world. Um, so we'll wait and see. We haven't properly seen um, Marco and Merlier work together yet, I don't think. Yeah. Which almost makes Merlier's victories so far this season all the more impressive that he has been without the, the mythical Michael Malkuth. <laughs> but then but then Seneschal is great. Seneschal used to be the, the guy who worked with Jakobsen. Let's not forget they're they're very good friends, uh, Seneschal and uh, Jakobsen. And they, they used to work so well together in 2019, 2020, helping each other in the lead out for the small period of 2020 that Jakobsen could ride. And then they jumped into the 2021 Puerto Espana, rode together. Seneschal was the lead out man. Seneschal, don't put anything against him. He's also an S tier lead out guy maybe maybe Jakobsen works better with um with Seneschal than with Mirko and then Mirko needs to now try with 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 Merlier maybe they work better together but uh, I think uh, we're not quite convinced that he's the best sprinter in the world but maybe right now 
Nevertheless, Paris-Nice, as we mentioned, Tad Bogaccia, Jonas Bingo. Is this the best rivalry in cycling right now in terms of GC? I'm not counting much about point what because that is a fantastic rivalry. But Tad Bogaccia and Jonas Bingo, the rivalry kind of started in a way at the Tour of the Basque Country in 2021. Then the Tour de France, we know, 2022 as well. And then Torino as well last year. That was, yeah, went completely in the favor of Tad Bogaccia. He was so dominant there. But now here, Paris Nice, first of them, both of them debutants, and then this Tour de France coming into it. Is this the kind of the Greg LeMond, the Bernard Eno, even though that's not really true because they were on the same team at one point? Is this an Andy Sleck Contador kind of thing, but a bit more similar kind of riders to some respect? I kind of think it is, which is very exciting because we go through these phases in cycling where you do get the clash of titans. Of course, it hasn't always been that way. You know, the, the Froome era, we were all very aware of Froome's dominance. Yes, there were people who came and went who challenged him, like uh, a Quintana, which I know is a little bit sketchy, perhaps, considering what he's doing. But anyway, glossing over that, like Contador and, and, and others, you know, Froome has been challenged, but it's the first time in a while where we've really had a an absolute kind of mano a mano, really kind of trading punches, and you're not quite too sure who's going to be coming out on top when you bash them together. Um, I feel like what's quite interesting is that Remco doesn't really have that with with anyone. You know, Remco doesn't really have this rivalry, does he? You say that Sasha Vlasov. It's it's been covered extensively <laughs> oh on, on 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 the cycling yes. main, main channel. I've <laughs> I've got a many a run about about how Sasha Vlasov um keeps Avenable. <laughs> that's that's the secret rivalry no one's talking about. <laughs> but is. like the Contador Andy Sleck, obviously, I, I love that uh rivalry. It's my two favorite riders. And that was kind of 2009, 2010, sort of 2011, but Contador was coming back off the back of the 2011 Giro. And then he had his whole 2010 aftermath that he was putting into that Tour de France. But so that that's free Tour de France is where they kind of went head to head. Here, next year, or this year's Tour de France, that's going to be three. And we're potentially going to see four, five, six, because they're still very young, these two. Mm. Yeah. What's going to change? Sure. Like nothing's going to change. These two... Maybe like maybe a Remco can be in the conversation as well, but these two are firmly the strongest two riders, and they're relatively young as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I hope that it is like this, and like you say, maybe Remco will come into the into the equation as well. I see really only the thing like you're saying, what's going to change? I see really it being UAE changing as a team to perhaps acquire some more some different talents because I think at the moment. People can quite unanimously agree that Yuma Visma is stronger than UAE team Emirates in terms of domestiques. I think, I mean, come on, they've got Wout Van Aert and like Roglic gets put into a domestique role, Sepkus, Kraushveg, McNulty, McNulty Soler, Micah. It's like Micah's going to be. That's a strong retiring. team. It I'm strong. defending UAE here. But What's I happening, like Ewan? Mano a Mano. I think that Yuma Visma are stronger. And I think the way that this will change is that Yuma Vis- is that UAE get even stronger to come up to the like the same level as Yumbo. And at that point, I think that Pagacha could become more dominant. Because Pagacha really lacks that person who's like the um I know they've got Trentin, but they lack the Wout Van Aert sort of cobbled master kind of jack of all traits who can be there at his side. He doesn't need them. 
Yeah, he does. Yeah, true. Maybe he just doesn't need them. Exactly that. But I think Jumbo Visma, as you say, sort of have more of these Swiss army now of kind of riders. Christophe Laporte, Wout van Aert, Tish Benoit as well. Now Jan Tratnik is definitely... Um, a new Swiss army knife to add to their collection. Where UAE don't quite have have the same. They have a lot of strong climbers, but not sort of riders who you can rely on to be everywhere and also be there be there in a time trial. Michael Biel, maybe. But they're signing more guys in the sort of Swiss army knife vein, looking towards Tim Wellens, who's great over many terrains, quite similar to Jan Tratnik. Also Felix Gorshan, to some extent, as well. They're getting in these guys to try to match Jumbo Visma. I think on a brute uphill force, UAE are a stronger team. We saw that at, at Planche de Belfi last year. I mean, I, I can I can get on board with yeah, UAE are probably stronger uphill, but I think, like you say, that Yumbo, I think, over the other rolling terrain and you know, basically if you put if you were to put me into a team and you're saying it's gonna be a crosswind day, I'm taking you I'm taking Yumbo Visman every day of the week because I, I just don't think that UAE have the talent. But that's not saying that they won't do in the future. That's where UAE will improve, and I think that Pogaccio could become more dominant than than Jonas. Because I think that as a rider, I prefer... Well, preferring doesn't really have much to do with it. I think that Pogaccio is more spontaneous and therefore more likely to take more the, the spontaneous leaps, which could get him like into a more favourable race, race position. I feel like Jonas is more calculated, and I feel like Pogaccio overall is the better racer, which could be more beneficial. Or Micah tells him to get on with it, as he did at Love Flash. Um, but I agree 100%. Pogacar's the better race. I, I think he's there contending classic profiles, hilly days. He can sprint pretty well. Jonas can't do that. I think even today in Paris-Nice, we saw Pogacar's kick there got him the six seconds that Vingo didn't uh, didn't get. I said it in the Cycling Dane um, preview over on the Extra channel that Pogacar is going to sweep up th- these bonus seconds because he's got that kick. And in a race like Paris-Nice, that's super important. Maybe the Tour de France, it's less important because it's a longer race. There's more opportunity for bigger gaps to be made. But in sort of one week long stage racing, I feel like Pogacar might have the edge. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a rivalry for years to come. Probably one of the most exciting rivalries we've had. This, this is kind of everything we wanted and more from... Uh, from the Pog and Rog battle that never really was. Yeah, that's where we, we have two two guys from these two sort of mega teams going at it. It doesn't quite have the same narrative uh, as the Pog and Rog uh, narrative of them being from the same country. One's old, one's young. But I think Vingo and Pogacar, they're very different guys, but there's a mutual respect between them that I think is very honorable. Even today in Paris, we saw it. They um, fist bump before the beginning of the stage. They were talking during the stage it doesn't feel as tense as sort of Schleck and Contador, or to some extent, Ino and Le Monde. It feels quite cordial between them, which probably points towards it there being more sort of fun racing, where it's not sort of spiteful, if you get what I mean. It's and not going to be controversial. I'll say that. Spiteful's great. The drama, the intrigue. But yeah, you're right. They're both really nice guys. And mm. it is the fact that we're not seeing a Chris Froome Quintana, where it's kind of like Quintana beats him in a stage where Froome loses 10 seconds, maybe, but he wins every single tour. This is. They have beaten each other. And yeah, we, well, we, Ewan mentioned that in a previous episode that Pogaccio actually was human for the first time in his whole career. And uh, yeah, okay, there is the asterisk that UAE kind of imploded because of COVID and all this. So he's very isolated as well. But the fact that they've beaten each other makes this so much more exciting. Whereas the Andy Sleck Contador, there was kind of, yeah, I know Andy Sleck is the 2010 winner. I shouldn't do that because he is. But 
it's not like he destroyed Contador in a one-on-one battle. They the the mythical yep. Tourmalet stage. He never got ri- he never put Contador in trouble. Whereas here, we never know what could happen. Yeah, true. But maybe maybe we're sniffing too much into the one Tour de France we've seen them both clash at. Do you, I'm sorry, I, I don't really count 2021 as being a rivalry. Pogacar was five minutes ahead of me going. Yeah, to that's true as well. And the one time Pogacar challenged on Vontu, Pogacar came back. He actually beat him in in, in on that the stage was not a drop. I'm sorry. Like there were so many videos about Pogacar got dropped. He did not get dropped. Like. I don't take the Basque Country argument from 2021. That was Pog and Rog and Vingo happened to be in a good place. Um, he was being used as 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 a teammate there. Marking duties, yeah. Yeah, but we've only we've only seen the real sort of Pogacar and Vingo once at a Grand Tour setting. But anyway, with that drawing to a conclusion, we're coming to our favorite part of the show, and that is our rider of the week. We don't have to ask Patrick, we all know. Uh Yorkshireman winning, automatic, uh yeah. Okay, go on, Patrick. Who's your ride of the week? Shock us. Uh, it's Tom Pitcock. There you go. Oh, what a shock. Me like a oh. <laughs> oh, stop the presses. <laughs> Tell Oxford. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ewan, who's your ride of the week? Madoise, probably. Like, you two are becoming too predictable. Well, I'm not going to be predictable. I'm going to say Milan Menton. I think uh, he won Le Samin beating some real strong contenders um, like Hugo Ostetan, Alberto Dainese, and so forth. Uh, he won that race, and then he went on to finish second place at one of the Belgian classics during the week as well, um, in quite a fierce sprint, uh, which was won by Sam Wellsford. So I think Milan Menta is definitely showing some some good form, and he's also moved to a new team, and he's hit the ground running at Lotto Destiny, which is really, really good to see for the guy from Limburg, up the Limburg. I mean, yeah, Sam Wellsford could, could have equally been one of our riders of the week. But, uh, well, I'm going biased as well. Andreas Stockport, he took his first victory uh, for a new team. I'm going to go the Danish route. Sorry, guys. He's a very nice guy. So, Andreas Stockport. We'll have to shake but... it up next time. <laughs> I'll pre- yeah, Ewan actually was the only one who wasn't predictable. Yeah, well played, Ewan. Well played. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. He's the one who maintains his respect and dignity. Madwaz was too low-hanging fruit, I'll say that. Nance Peters, that could have been one. Trofea La Gualia, we didn't really talk yeah. about that. But and, um, yeah. I also I also appreciate how Nance Peters is named after a children's TV show. So. so anyways, that's it for our sixth episode of the Echelon Cycling Podcast. If you would rather, make sure to check us out on all the different platforms that are all down below in terms of yeah, from going from Spotify to Amazon Podcast. And comment down below what you thought of this week's episode in any matters we always love to get involved in the comment section like the video subscribe to the channel and of course as always thank you for watching and have a nice day